You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since everybody welcome to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema we are back and uh still in the month of love baby yeah i don't know what's going on sorry possessed by the demons of love over here will cupid has struck me right in the buttocks the arrow's deep man that quivers like that uh, snake arrow from last week (laughs) (laughs) james earl jones with bad hair and all is a Cupid for our times. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I didn't even put that together. Another love connection from for this month. Uh, yeah, how about that? All this love is too much of it. And now I can't say love without saying it that way. <laughs> so whoever ends up being my significant other in the future, just know it'll be a lot of, I love you. And I love our listeners. And right now, so many have tuned out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, if this is their first episode, they're like, fuck this show. Uh, we are back. This week, we're going to talk about a selection by Will. Uh, and this one is about the uh, the love of friendship. And uh, it is Cotton Comes to Harlem from 1970, directed by one Ossie Davis. Uh this is actually a good one to talk about. This is one that's kind of, it, it, it kind of, if it hasn't been on the radar, it probably should have always been. Um, it's it's early, uh, quote unquote, black exploitation, and uh, uh, really a lot of interesting themes and ideas and stuff going on in this film. So I'm looking forward to talking about that here in a little bit. That should be a blast. Uh, had a really good time uh, on the rewatch. Um. Let's get into some feedback. I got some stuff. I got another message from Rob over at uh, the uh, Caliber Nine from Outer Space podcast. One of our one of the new kids on the block. One of our new, uh, what well, you know, I'm gonna say it. New 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 part of our circle. I think. You know, right. you know, we, those guys. Uh, you know, they're doing the Lord's work, as we often say we are, and uh, I'm glad they're. 
uh, they're they're uh, they're here. I'm glad they're part of the team. We'll see here. Uh, re- I, basically, this is addressed to me here. Uh, well, I think it's addressed to both of us, but you know, my email, my name's on the email, so that's just where you want to come. Uh, listen to your great Starman episode today, and I just want to thank you for including our podcast on your round of recommendations at the end of each week. Just incredibly generous of you and Will to share the love like that. Thanks, guys. Uh, their current episode of uh, Event Horizon Zardoz has finally caught up, so uh, we may you may start to hear some GGTC, GGTMC rumblings from over there. But Rob has been very forthright from the beginning, reaching out to us that the Milano Nine uh, or the Caliber Nine Milano Nine, the Caliber Nine from Outer Space podcast, is heavily influenced by us. We consider that extreme flattery. And, uh, yeah, we thank you guys for even, uh, mentioning us. There's been podcasts in the past that have clearly taken some of the things we've done and never, you know, just said, you know, thank you for being an inspiration. It's really nice when, and, and and people can do that. They can do that. They can take an inspiration and never say thank you, but it's really nice when somebody reaches out and, and tells you that you inspire them to do something. And, uh, that, that means a lot. I know it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to Will. So, uh, it makes us feel good. Because there were two gentlemen that made us do this, right? So, right. And I'll forever be in debt to those gentlemen. I'll mention them right now. F thirteen and DZ. They will always have our love. Oh yeah. Um, they they got us going and helped us get going. And and Bill from outside the cinema as well helped quite a bit. I'm not going to uh, denounce that. He helped me quite a bit on the technological side. Yeah, they did for sure. And uh, but F thirteen and DZ from Cinema Diabolica. They were the ones that. Will and I found each other through that, but not only that, we we found a, a brotherhood and a a family atmosphere there. Something I don't think they get enough credit for is they kind of created that family atmosphere as well. Yeah, they definitely did, and it became a thing. So, uh, I think those back episodes are still out there. If you guys have never listened to Simba Diabolica, you should do yourself a favor, and you can probably hear some voicemails from some ever so young and budding podcasters. <laughs> Which I, I'd be interested to go back and listen to those episodes and hear us. Talking. Oh boy! I would, uh, yeah. I wonder. <laughs> it's like going back and listening to the first episode of this show, which, for the record, is incredibly painful for Will and I, because <laughs> we joke about it this day, like, "Hey, samurai, samurai, what do you think?" <laughs> I don't know, Big Willie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're finding our footing. You know, at this point, we got a relationship with our listeners, and we just kind of come in, and literally, you guys are hearing. This is essentially what our phone conversations are like. This is, I mean, there are some things we don't say on the air because that's the truth. <laughs> we we do have some fun uh, behind the scenes. <laughs> yes, and uh, we both like a, you know, a really solid, dirty joke, and uh, you know, things like that. And uh, we have our commentaries, but for the most part, what you guys are hearing is what Will and I are really like. If you're ever around us in person, if you uh, get the chance to do that, uh, you will discover that we are definitely the people we portray on this podcast. We are not much different than that. So, no. And uh, we love talking movies with people. So, all that's out of the way. Let's get into what we've been watching. I only got a couple things that I had to say from last week, which I'll mention uh, this week. But, uh, Will, go ahead. All right, all right. So, yes, watched a couple things, enjoyed a few films along the way. Uh, our youngest son wanted to watch All Quiet on the Western Front, the, um, yes. the one, the German production from last year. Yeah, uh, fellow podcaster Brad over at Not a Bomb, he thought this was one of the best films of the year last year. Or was it last year or the year before last? 
Oh, last year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I, I have not watched it yet. I, I I keep meaning to watch it, and I just have not watched it. Yeah, this is worth your time. Yeah, uh, I, need, I need to check it out. It looks like it's right up my alley. Yeah. So kudos. You know, my 13-year-old, our 13-year-old son wanted to watch a two-and-a-half-hour German film about World War One. Yeah, there you go. And I just, I'm so grateful to have children that, you know, we've, we've cultivated this love of film and, and film from, you know, around the world and to see different perspectives. And, uh, this film was when I, I'm always going to cherish this experience of watching this with him. Um, it was just him and I, and it, this film is, is an incredible film. It won best international film at the Oscars last year. That's where I think the seed got planted for him. We, after many years of like, literally of never having an Oscar party, we have a friend who lives nearby who loves movies like we love movies. And we said, hey man, let's do an Oscar party. So we got together and made some fun dishes and the kids were there and the kids were involved and and we're all watching and cheering for the films we wanted to win. And by and large, we'd always watch it just before I was here at the house. So when uh, this, this kicked some ass at the Oscars last year for cinematography and score, um, I think production design, as well as international film, I think it, it kind of planted that seed in our son's head. So it's been simmering and I'd meant to watch it forever and I just hadn't gotten around to it, hadn't made the time. And I'm grateful I did. I think this is a tremendous film. Um, it's a, you know, it's a tremendous anti-war film, you know, as I think all war films should be. Um, it's evident to me that um, Come and See was a strong influence on this film. Mm. visually mm. emotionally i don't think and this is no discredit to this film because it's a powerful film there, there's a couple moments in, including when you're the back end of the film when i but literally at the same time my son and i put our hands over our mouth and just gasped oh, okay uh, all right you know, it's, it's a powerful film it's a very human film uh the technical stuff's all first rate uh and i applaud netflix for doing it like i begged them a lot for a lot of their a lot of their stuff but you know, they get it right now and then, right? So, and this was an, a, a case of them getting it right. It's a, I think it's a tremendous film. And if I was going to do a top 10 films for the year, uh, I would absolutely put this in there. Probably top five. Excellent film. Nice. Nice. That's good to hear. Yeah. Late to the game on that one, certainly. But nonetheless, um, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Um, next up was one, everyone was asleep. It was Friday night, and I rarely get a chance to watch things that are just very specific to me. And I was going to put on, um, oh, man, what's it called? I was going to put on One Man Force. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but uh, I didn't. I forgot to go with something, which, is, of course, for anyone not familiar, that's the John Matusik uh, action jam. Yeah, which we've kind of talked about behind the scenes, talk about covering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, I was like, no, I got to save this for the show. So instead, I put on Losing Ground, which is on the Criterion Channel right now. Uh, fun fact: this film was the first. And I want to get the wording right. I think it was the first uh, feature film directed by an African American woman since the 1920s when it came out in 1982. Kathleen Collins. Uh, I have never seen this movie. I think you'd really like it, man. I, I think you'd really dig it. I really, really like this film. It's uh, it's a very grown up film. It's about a couple played by Sarit Scott and um, Bill Gunn, 
She's a professor. He's a painter. He's a free spirit. Um, uh, they go to get a summer house. Oh, Dwayne Jones is in this too, huh? Jones is really good in this film. Oh, wow. I've never seen this, Will. The, buddy, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I know nothing about this. This was an excellent film. It's an excellent independent film. It's fascinating to see a film made by, you know, I always try to look through the lens of the filmmaker and look at what they're seeing and see the subtle things that they bring to the table that a, that a female filmmaker would bring, mm-hmm. that a filmmaker of color would bring to the table. And Kathleen Collins is both. She's a, she's a woman of color. And I think this is a really fascinating film. Some of the performances at times are a little amateur, but I'll tell you, man, like for me, this this was like an 8, 8.25 out of 10. I really liked it. It's a very grown-up film that deals with identity, not just in a in a racial sense, but just identity, relationships, um, what people are getting out of relationships. Huh. Um, I, I really like this. It's 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 a it's a good film, man. Really good film. I recommend. Yeah, she only directed two things: a short film and uh, that film. That's a yeah, sounds like. Died. Oh, she died young. Yeah, sadly. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it's too bad. But she gets some really strong, you know, people in the African American community, like Bill Gunn, Dwayne Jones, and like I said, oh, Street yeah. Scott. She is, did. Is she did die young. I just saw she how young she was. Wow. Yeah, it's a shame, an absolute shame, because she's really she she I think would have had a bright career. Mm. She was a great voice in independent film, and she was doing it probably ten years ahead of kind of that American indie film boom that produced so many filmmakers, right? So yeah, it's a shame. But I really dug this film. I think it's well worth everyone's time, and it's short. It's like I don't even think it's ninety minutes. Interesting. Interesting. I like. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, man. Uh, next up was. Uh, I'll talk about one more here. One that I'd had my eye on for some time was Rye Lane, which was a bit of a darling this year. It's uh, it's a romantic comedy set in Brixton in London about a, a bit of a meet cute. This couple meets and uh, not a couple. These, these two people meet uh, and uh, it's over the course mostly of one day, one day, one night. Hmm. And uh, I got to say, I felt old watching this at first. The film has an energy. It's a really colorful. Again, I think this was a first time uh, woman of color, like a first time filmmaker of color, Um, coincidentally this week. So uh, let me just bring it up here. Yeah, Rain uh, Rain Allen Miller. Hmm. So I'm watching the film and it's on Disney Plus in the States and Canada and Hulu. Um, It's got a three... You know, coasting with a 3.9 on, uh, I guess, Arsenal scored again. Speaking of London. That's good. Uh, so this deals with this uh, this young, uh, young black couple, these two young black people that meet uh, through sort of fate um, in uh, at this art gallery. And, you know, I'm watching. I'm thinking, man, I feel old. Like the energy and the colors and everything feels really feeling old. But I kind of settled into it, you know, because it kind of feels like the way Spike Lee would use a lot of like close-ups and just kind of in-your-face cinematography sometimes with his characters. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, it really, really won me over. Like I'm not saying this film's going to reinvent the wheel, but I, I loved it. I thought it was it was a joy. I had a smile on my face when I finished. I thought the two leads were were lovely in the film. Um, I look forward to other things they do. Uh, and funny, it's funny, David Johnson, the the male lead in the film. 
he's going to be in the next uh, Alien film that's coming out, Alien Romulus, directed by Fetty Alvarez. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that looks like they put together an interesting young cast for that one. So, yeah, he's lovely. Vivian Opara's lovely in the film. Um, just a charming, lovely romantic comedy, which is not, listen, we said last week, fantasy is not my jam. Romantic comedy is not my jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love this film. It was very charming. Nice. Um, I'm sitting there thinking about, about, yeah, I'm sitting there thinking about that Losing Ground film again. I'm thinking that that director, she must have seen uh, Ganjin Hess, I guess, because. Yeah, she uh, Bill Gunn. Bill Gunn, yeah, Bill, yeah. Well, Bill Gunn and Dwayne Jones. They're both in Ganjin oh, Hess right, as well. That's right. So <laughs> she must have. She must have been a fan of that or something to get those guys back in a film together. Well, I think, too, you know, Bill Gunn being involved in the, like the theater community and African-American theater and arts, I'm sure there was sort of mm-hmm. circles there, right? So, yeah. Yeah. No, like I said, there's moments when you feel that it's an independent first-time film, a little bit amateur, but I, I left really, really liking it, man. Yeah. Really liking it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched one more thing that I got to talk to you about off the air because there's going to be a bonus episode this month. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I briefly spoke to you about that, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so people got to stay tuned. You're going to have um, a bonus episode during. <laughs> I, wow, we just scored against 6 0. <laughs> it's 6 0? <nil? laughs> wow. Okay, sorry, guys. Uh, Clearly, we got some excitement in the Smith household. If, yeah, if you're at our house on uh, on match day, it's it's pretty loud, or game day, it's. <laughs> We like to be quiet except when our team scores. Um, so actually, we don't like to be quiet. We're all motor mouths. Um, but yeah, so we uh, so I'll just I'll tease this. Let me tease this. So our good speaking of London. Yeah, yeah. You, you can de- definitely tease it. Yeah, I think because, you know, it's going to be a bonus. Yeah. We'll throw it up on the feed as a bonus. We, we don't do as many of those as we used to. No time, baby. Time. Yeah. So. Uh, when we were um, at German Gymnasium in London, King's Cross, uh, in September, Davey and his lovely girlfriend, Kim, uh, spoke to us about how they listened to that bonus episode that uh, my wife, Teresa, and I had done reviewing Sylvia, the porn film. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, and they said they loved it, thought it was it was great, we had, they had fun with it, and uh, they said, hey, why don't we get together and review one? So I said, yeah, that sounds awesome. So Davey and I bounced a few back and forth. I'd mentioned Cafe Flesh. And which I know on Cool Cat's a big fan of too. And uh, Davey came back with one. He said two words, ghost dick. And I was like, okay. So we uh, <laughs> we, uh, we watched Soft Places, uh, oh, nice, which nice. is, uh, yeah, Soft Places. So this does feature some ghost dick. Nice. And uh, it's also directed by a woman. So, which was yeah. a bit of a rarity in the industry at the time. Yeah. So, it's interesting. Interesting film. You're going to hear some interesting conversation. That episode's probably going to come out the week next, like the week of the like 19th, 20th, somewhere in there. Yeah. Maybe midweek. You and I can talk about the release. But uh, yeah, you just let me know. Obviously, I'll get it out there and whatnot. So that's Soft Places. For those that want to play along at home, uh, the tagline is the best places are the soft places. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's not that's not incorrect. That is not incorrect. Ghost dick for the win. You hear more about that next week. Ghost dick. Um, and that's it, man. That's funny enough. I've seen Ghost Dad. I haven't seen Ghost Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, you know. 
Uh, I watched a few things. I watched uh, Conan and the Destroyer, uh, which I didn't mention last week because I needed to save some stuff for this week. I did watch that. I probably watched it two or three times because there's a lot of commentary tracks on there. I kind of wanted to get through them. Even Tracy Walters does a commentary track, kind of a weird one. Um, it, 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 you know, Conan the Destroyer kind of gets, uh, it, it definitely is not Conan the Barbarian. Okay. It's definitely not that film, but I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's a fun little goofy Conan film. And I kind of enjoy the practical effects and the silliness of it. And it's surprisingly bloody for the PG rating. I think it got, um, I remember when this came out, my grandmother did not want to take my brother and I to see this. And, uh, we managed to, as we sometimes did, we managed to talk her into it anyway. And, um, we had a blast with it, but at the time you got to remember, we talked about this last week, this was the height of sword and sorcery films and stuff. So we thought another Conan film, that'd be great because Red Sonja was a bit of a letdown. And, um, I think Red Sonja came out between that and Destroyer. Maybe Red Sonja came out afterwards. I can't remember. I I have a soft spot. Uh, Speaking of soft spots, I have a soft spot for Red Sonja. I don't think it's as bad as everybody makes it out to be. I agree with you. That's a Dick Fleischer film, for the record. That's another one of his. That you may, say it's a Dick Fleischer film or a it's Dick a, Well, no, it's a ghost Dick Fleischer film. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <yeah>. the, uh, <laughs> we're such children here at the GGTMC. Gentleman's Guide is just a, you know, acronym for... It's the Children's Guide. <laughs> yeah, the Immature Guide to... <laughs> 12-Year-Old's Guide. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh at, you know, somebody farts, we laugh. You know, somebody, you know... Folks, we laugh. <laughs> What is good in life? Farts and dick jokes. <laughs> Sadly, it's it's very true. Hey, yes. if you're not going to laugh in life, what the hell's the point? That's right. Um, but uh, I like Conan the Destroyer. I, I mean, I, it it is a blip compared to Conan the Barbarian, but it's it's a fun blip. You know, it's totally a Richard Fleischer film. It's totally, you know, it's it's just a good old fashioned kind of B movie. And uh, I enjoy it for what it is. I mean, it, it's not, it's, again, it's not amazing, but it, it it's it's pretty good. And uh, again, part of that set, I can't recommend it enough. So uh, definitely check it out again if you get a chance, because I think it's a fun, a fun sequel. Um, not as nearly as good, but a fun sequel. Uh, the only other thing I watched, I watched, um, uh, what, what was the name of that film? I get the title messed up. Which one? Now, hang on. It's a documentary I watched on Netflix because it popped up on there. You know how Netflix puts their stuff right right at the top. But I thought it might be interesting. The Greatest Night in Pop. Oh, I saw you watch this, and I was very curious because I thought it might be an interesting watch with the family one night. So Yeah, so this is uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes and kind of a documentary look at the We Are the World uh, phenomenon that happened in the early 80s, mid-80s. Yeah, early to mid-80s, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Lionel Richie's featured very heavily in this. I'm a big Lionel Richie fan. I like him a lot. Always have. And um, Great songwriter. Yes. And uh, there's some really fun stories here of him hanging out at Michael Jackson's house and uh, him just kind of talking about how <laughs> how odd Michael Jackson was. <laughs> and uh, not not in a bad way, but just uh, not in the way, too, that you know I know he's kind of been betrayed lately, but... Just definitely some some more weird Michael Jackson stories. I mean, clearly, we all know he lived in his own world. Yep. Um, and he just had the money to pursue that. But uh, this is kind of a fun one. Uh, I, I don't think it's an amazing documentary, but it's kind of a good look at how something like this comes together. 
and how something like this sometimes has to come together really fast. And I think when you think about how quick this came together and what it became, kind of this phenomenon, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Lionel Richie's kind of at the height of his powers here. I, I think yeah. the night they recorded this, he had won a whole bunch of awards at the American Music Awards for his uh, debut solo album. He had always been a really good songwriter, but he'd always kind of been in the background with the Commodores. Um, you know, he he sang some of those songs and stuff, but the Commodores were more of a group, right? I mean, yep. Lionel Richie didn't really... I mean, his songs stand out to me on from the Commodore stuff. But he was just—he was part of a team. Whereas when he when he released, uh, I guess "Can't Slow Down," I guess that's what it was called. Yeah, you know he became a huge um, a solo star, and uh, that album's really good for the record. I, I like it quite a bit. Absolutely, man. And he—he uh, he just had a moment in time. I, I guess they had that album, and he may have had. I think "Dancing on the Ceiling" did pretty well for him, but I think he kind of faded away after that. There's still good. Lionel Richie stuff out there. He's just not part of the zeitgeist popularity anymore. Can uh, can we coin a phrase here? What we got? What we got? So you know we got dad rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, right? we got yacht rock. Can we call Lionel Richie like maybe the best purveyor of dad soul? Mm. He is definitely dad soul, right? He's I, dad soul, and we got dad. Like yeah. he absolutely is. There's no shame. Yeah. In. Uh, yeah. No in shame in. It. No, no, no. I think he's. Uh, I think he's a perfectly suited, soft, beautiful soul music. Very heartfelt. I, I just think he's a really good songwriter. I always have thought he's a really good songwriter. He, he can write ballads. He can write pop songs. He's just a really good songwriter. He just has that knack. Underappreciated in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, he, he ran the gamut. Rock, funk, soul, ballads. For you, you know. to say that speaks volumes because you're a musician right so you can kind of oh, yeah yeah no you get baffled by the bullshit as much as the no, layman would no 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 when you when you come across i mean he's a he's a, a very special songwriter um even i know that i mean i just you know that there's guys that come along and again he's not a mega star anymore but he's he's a very 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 talented songwriter um this film is it's it's good. It's fun. It's got some fun background stories. I mean, it's not going to go too deep into things for you, but it's kind of interesting. I didn't know, you know, they all kind of looked up to Harry Belafonte, and he oh, was yeah. really kind of pushing this, you know, feed feed African children, which is a really big part of the eighties because there was a lot of famine going on, Ethiopia and so forth. Yeah, yep. and uh, they were all kind of looked up to him, so they thought they better do something. Bob Geldof, of course, he had did something before in Europe with mm-hmm. the uh, Band Aid. Band aid, that's right. And you know, they kinda all kind of brought it together and did this. And you know, what's interesting is is We Are the World still makes money for uh supporting uh uh the hungry and uh, overseas and stuff. And I th- I think that's impressive. And you know what? As cheesy as it is kinda is, I mean obviously the the heart was in the right spot when they did this, but the yeah, song is kinda, you know, it's it's a little cheesy in retrospect. Sure. But you it, know but, what? but it still holds up. And and the ends justified the means. Yeah, yeah. The song still kind of holds up. I mean, in its cheesiness, it still holds up. Uh, and I caught myself singing it quite a bit after I watched that documentary because obviously they play it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> uh, but uh, my daughter was here and I just kept singing it and I was doing impersonations of Bob Dylan. I was doing impersonations of Bruce Springsteen, wow. Kenny uh, Kenny Loggins, Daryl Hall, uh, just just about everybody. I was. That's inc- that is a tour de force from Sammy. I yeah. wish. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
I've been a fly in the wall. One of the things people don't know about me is, you know, I do impersonations of movie actors and stuff like that and stuff, but I can actually impersonate singers pretty good too. And, uh, you know, I can, you know, I mean, I won't do it on the show, but, you know, I can, you know, not to toot my own horn and stuff, but I can, I can, I can do a little Daryl Hall. I can hang in there. I can, I can do that. I can do, I can do some Bruce. Bruce hurts. I will say that for the record. Bruce. Does he hurt more than Macho Man? Uh, it's about the same. It really is a singing version of Macho Man. I'm not prepared to get Yeah, yeah. I I would never try to do the Macho Man rap song. Ooh. I would never do that one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Bob Dylan hurts, too. But um, Huey Lewis is a fun one to do, because uh, as I've gotten older, I can get a little bit of the Huey Lewis register. And, oh, and uh, talk about an underrated singer. Underrated. Yeah, he, he, you know... He found his sweet spot, and I love that. Was it sports? Is that what it's called? Yeah, sports? yeah, sports. That's, um, I yeah. love that album. That's yeah. a great, speaking of like, that's like dad rock kind of great that album. Is, definitely a dad rock album, yes. That is in the pantheon of dad rock albums. No doubt about that. Um, but, uh, you know, I was doing that after watching it and stuff. My daughter was, as daughters are of, you know, dads who are in their 50s and only being eight or nine years old, she was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> looking at me like I was insane but you know I was just having fun so now I can't I can't mimic the females as much but you know I try I try in bits and pieces but I can't get that that registers just a little bit out of my range but I have fun with it and uh it's a it's a good look you know what it's not amazing but you could do worse I'll say that I might I'm gonna try to check it out I think that one might be interesting for the family to watch or if at the very least the wife and I yeah I think I think you'll I think you'll like it I don't think it's going to change your life. No, but it's a it's a nice little game changer, nice little throat lozenge, which I could have used after I I was about to say did my Bruce Springsteen impersonation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I'm not going to do. I'm sorry, guys. I am not going to do it on the show. I just cannot do that. Uh, it will, first of all, it'll it'll blow your speakers if I do that. Ooh, <laughs> and blow your mind. <laughs> blow your mind <laughs> but I, yeah yeah i didn't even know i could do as good a bruce as i can do um i knew i could do the the quiet bruce stuff because i'll sometimes play guitar and sing you know highway patrolman or i'm on fire or something like that but oh, man they're good yeah but uh yeah i can even i can get up there with the born in the usa stuff and everything i can't talk afterwards but i can do it <laughs> Oof, can be rough good time though all right that's, that's all, all you watched. That's all I watched. That's all I got. It's funny, you know, you you mention Michael Jackson, right? Because he was a key part of that. Um, Very important that, part, yes. Right? Actually, he in, in the documentary it kind of talks about he didn't want to be part of it. He thought it might dra- he, he thought it his superstardom might detract from the cause. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So late cycle michael jackson right he was at the height of his powers 70s early 80s mid 80s but uh one of my favorite uh late cycle mj jams is remember the time <laughs> do you remember good. what time it is sammy i do remember what time it is what time is it <laughs> it's time for this or that <laughs> if i can get it clicked we'll play it <laughs> All right. A little bit of Sammy falsetto for you guys. The uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Remember This Time. I, you know, again, I know Michael Jackson, problematic person now, but uh, good songs. Some really good songs in there. Also, kind of fun in that documentary to learn for some folks who don't believe or understand this. But, you know, Michael wrote all of his songs by recording himself humming or would uh, record himself going, he'd do stuff like that. Really? And and that's how he wrote music because he didn't know how to play an instrument and he didn't know how to read music. Hmm. So it all just kind of came out of his head. So, so, you know, some people are just lucky enough to be born that way. Uh, It's just the way it is. Talent is a weird thing, you know? It is. It's a weird thing. It definitely is. So what okay. do you got? What we got this week? What we got? Gonna come up with a tasty one: chocolate croissant or cherry turnover? Ooh, ooh! You know, I never really until like the last ten years or so, maybe five years, I never had a chocolate croissant. Croissant. Oh man, they're good. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And that's why I'm gonna go with a uh, chocolate croissant <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to justify that. But I don't know why. I just uh, kind of always avoided them. But. Uh, after hanging out with John Paul Belmondo and his croissant. <laughs> yeah, that denim croissant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, he was definitely proud of his croissant. Popping that croissant. <laughs> Loud and proud. He was. I hope I hope it wasn't flaky, though. Been bad. I hope it wasn't. You had to moisturize <laughs> that croissant. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, a croissant, a cro- fucking no, I'm saying croissant, are croissants a big thing in uh, in the South or no? Uh, yeah, they, they're their big thing. They're more of a dinner uh, thing here. Are they? Uh, we we like them with uh, meals. Um, the, you know, kind of like a kind of like a roll or a muffin. Yeah. We kind of use them in that regard more than we use them. We do use them for breakfast down here, but it tends to be more of a dinner kind of a. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Accoutrement or whatever. They yeah, sure, yeah. absolutely. That's interesting because here they're more. They're definitely more. And and you know, it's something I always took for granted with the Quebecois influence and the French influence in Canada, right? Is that that croissants would be a little more pervasive potentially here than biscuits, say, in the South, to use a very generalized culinary reference. Oh, but, yeah. you know, uh, croissants are great, man. They're good. Like, you can, you know what? They're nice to make a sandwich on, man. You make a ham and Swiss with a little, oh, little yeah. honey mustard on a croissant. <clears throat> croissants are very good. Uh, the problem I have with croissants is I can eat too many of them. And, that is also my problem. And uh, the next thing I know, I feel like a bloated mess. And yeah. uh, that's because I ate Fucking 10 croissants. Too much. Yeah, I've had my body weight in butter and and flaky pastry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, even just grabbing one and throwing a slab of butter on there is good enough for me. And that's the problem is I can just tear them up. They're, they're good. I love cherry turnovers too, but that, I do, that's a... I do. More of an apple turnover guy, but yeah, more than cherry. Cherry's just a little too tart for me. I like the sweetness of apples a little bit more, but... Okay. Hey, I think there's no wrong answers there. I don't think there's any wrong answer with the turnover, period. Oh, man. Um, uh, Nicole Kidman or Kate Winslet? Uh, it's an, Again, I know I say this every week, but you guys got to imagine the, the, you know, if, if you can picture the Matrix uh, numbers going on, <laughs> that's what my brain probably looks like. <laughs> internally when he tells me when he asks me these things because in my head I have to go through everybody's filmography and the performances I like and the performances I don't like and and so you know right now I'm processing all these Kate Winslet performances I like and all these Nicole Kidman performances I like and of course I've said for the record Nicole Kidman for me is very underrated as an actress I mean she is yeah. she's a much better actress 
than folks give her credit for. I seriously believe that. I completely agree with you. I hate what she's done with her face. I wish she wouldn't have done that. Yep. Um, she's still great, but I really wish she wouldn't have done that. She was a naturally pretty lady. Not my type, but I think a naturally pretty lady. And she should have left well enough alone, but Hollywood's a, a fickle beast. Uh, <clears throat> and this is really hard because I really love Kate Winslet a lot. Like, she can do no wrong to me. I can't think of a film she's been in. Even in bad films, she's good. Uh, well, but then again, so is Nicole Kidman sometimes. Hmm. Um, uh, I'm going to go Kate Winslet on this one. Um, her performances just kind of speak more to me. Um, uh, she actually did a really good film, uh, that I probably never talked about on the show and I watched and I think, I don't know why I never logged it or anything, but it was, a. Uh, her and uh, maybe Sasa Ronan or somebody or something like that. It was a, a, a lesbian type thing film. I can't remember the name of that movie. Oh, wow. I'm not sure I know that film. And I think Saoirse Ronan is a great actress, too. It's a it's a very it's kind of dour in the way it is. And it's 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 not exactly a pick me up kind of movie, um, but it's really good. I'm looking I'm looking to see the title now, but I'm gonna go Kate Winslet. Where you what do you go? I think both are fantastic. Um, but, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Nicole Kidman. I think Winslet, I I sometimes forget just how tremendous she is. I'm actually in love with Kate Winslet in real life. Oh, wow. Like she's awesome. Like she's like, to me, she's like, like one of the, the perfect women. She is beautiful, beautiful, super talented. She can do it all. Yeah. Curvy, beautiful. Oh, yeah. All those things. She's and you know what? I've seen her do comedy. I've seen her do serious stuff. Yeah, she can do it all. You know, you know one. She's really, you know a film. I feel like has kind of gotten lost in the sort of mid or early two thousands shuffle. That was one of the few chances this actor had a chance to really lead a film outside of genre stuff. And I really love him, and I love her in the film. Is Todd Field's Little Children with Patrick Wilson and her? Oh yeah, that's a great movie. That's a really good film, man. Jack Hill, Jack Hill Haley. Yeah, tough one to watch, but a really great tough movie. Much. Yeah, no, but uh, I love her. I'm going to go Nicole Kidman, though. I love both. I think it's a coin flip. But I uh, I just, for the reason you said, I just want to kind of say Nicole because I feel like people kind of forget sometimes just how great she can be. Yeah, uh, Amon, Ammonite, Ammonite, Ammonite? I think it's the name of the film. Ammonite, Ammonite? I don't know how you say that word. Ammonite? It's a fossil, fossil type thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really good look at, you know, forbidden love at in that time. Oh, there it is. Night. Yeah, really good. It's bit of a later. bit of a dour film, but uh, and not exactly a pick me up. But I, I quite enjoy it. It's on, looks like it's on the old Flixeroo and Netflix. All right, this is getting added to the watch list. Well, <clears throat> very graphic sex scene. <laughs> so self, don't watch with the kids. Maybe <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. <laughs> If you were uncomfortable during the Conan sex scene, you're definitely going to be uncomfortable during this one. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Blade Runner or Alien? No, oh, this one's the, so this you would think this would be tough for me, but this is not. I think pound for pound, I, I think Alien. It, it obviously both of these films are two of the most influential films ever made by the same director. Oddly, uh, oddly Scott. No, um, that's, <laughs> the hidden brother of the Scott brothers, oddly. Uh, but I'm I'm going to go Alien. I think Alien is it's as close 
so perfect of a horror sci-fi film ever made. It it might be the perfect horror sci-fi film. We've never we've never reviewed it on the show, but I'll just flat out tell you right now, I absolutely adore Alien. I watch it about every five years or so. And it scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Uh, as an adult, not quite as scary, although that tunnel sequence is still really good. That ductwork sequence when uh, Tom Scarrett's going through the ducks. Yep. Um, I know a lot of people like Aliens more, a little bit more action-packed. Oh, I, I Alien, I'm like you, man. I prefer Alien. Yeah, but I think Alien is much more uh, interesting and atmospheric and beautiful. I have often said over the years that I don't love Blade Runner as much as some. Uh, I will not deny its influence on so many things. Um, but I, I I think Alien is just a great representation of what it's going for. That's awesome. I thought you were going the other way. Because mm. uh, that's the way I'm going. I'm going Blade Runner. I love Alien. I, I, I do. I love Alien. And I agree with everything you said, but for me, Blade Runner just speaks to me. It stirs my soul. Mm-hmm. The questions it asks really speak to me. Um, so I would go Blade Runner. Yeah. And it just, it's all, I, I won't spend too much time on this, but I always find it curious that a guy that made these two films um, has made films in his career that I am just so indifferent to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's done everything, right? I mean, he's ran the gamut of films. Let me ask you then, you beg the question by your statement about Alien. So where do you stand on Alien versus... This wasn't what I thought of. Alien versus The Thing. Hmm. This is a this is a tougher question. <laughs> <laughs> this is tougher for me than the other one. Um, hmm. Fuck, man. I don't... I don't I, honestly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really tough. I don't know. Uh, oof. That that one. You, want me to buy you a few seconds here? Will you? Uh, I mean, that one is just. I mean, it's just. It, it's not that it's unfair because I think those two films are similar in a lot of ways, and they're very influential in others. Um, and I don't want to pick one over the other because I love them both so much. Yeah, but at the same time, it put it against it. Which one would I pick? Well, this is going to sound like blasphemy. But I, I do think I have seen Alien more, and I think honestly, I think I like Alien more than the Thing. Awesome, and 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 I'll just say that I absolutely adore the Thing. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I mean, John Carpenter's The Thing is also one of the best examples of sci-fi horror ever put to screen. Um, those films aren't too far apart in years either. It's kind of amazing that they happen like they did. What is it? Seventy-nine and eighty-one. Is that what uh, it is? Yeah, I'd say so. Something like that. It's interesting. I'd never really thought of them together as as logical as it might be. Sci-fi horror, the themes of sort of this hopelessness, mistrust. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Anxiety that they both kind of trade in. Yeah. No, I think there is, they're, they're definitely the high watermarks for sci-fi horror. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, really, I think they, they um, both of those films transcend that we can just classify them as great film. Yeah, off off the top of my head, I would say both films are at least, at the very least, nine or higher. They're tremendous. They're they're right there for sure. Yeah, I mean, they are two of the great from our for our generation, two of the greatest films made. Period. I I probably wouldn't go below eight seven five. There's no at, way. Like, no, at minimum, that's the the floor for me for those films. Yeah, yeah those films they're are excellent. Yeah. This, I mean, you can fire them up to this day. 
and they hold up. We should cover it. You know what? Maybe we got to maybe do. We'll do a sci-fi month. Trillo. Well, we could, or we could do a Trillo GGTMC for the aliens. I've never seen the Fincher one still. Oh, that could be fun. Next big episode or something. I don't know. Yeah. Something to talk about. Behind, Good idea. Behind the curtain. Right now, listeners are hearing us talking about it, and they're like, hey, why don't you guys do that? <laughs> yeah, that might be fun, man. Um, I don't, I don't want to hit you with another too dirty of one. So, Dustin Hoffman. Well, this might be. Dustin Hoffman or John Cassavetes? <clears throat> huh. Well, I mean, this is, in some ways, I can see the similarities. In other ways, I see no similarities. Mm-hmm. I love Dustin Hoffman. I think he's a great actor, but some of his lows are pretty low. They're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, good Lord. I mean, like all actors, unless they unfortunately die young um or die before they get to the point to where they really got to make some money to cover mortgages and divorces and everything else um they're lucky enough that they can kind of pick their projects and go out on a high note i guess but some of them live a long time and then they have to work and sometimes you have to do things that you don't normally want to do mm-hmm. and i would say dustin hoffman's career is definitely full of those oh yeah um uh, toward the back end especially i don't even know if he's doing anything nowadays he doesn't really work much nowadays um if he's just retired or if he's just taking it easy. I don't know what he's up to. I haven't seen him in anything in a while. Uh, I think maybe he did that Adam, not that Adam Sandler. Yeah, it was an Adam Sandler movie, wasn't it? There's some movie on, it was a Noah Baumbach film. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was on Netflix. I didn't watch it, so I don't know. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. That's a shame, but it is what it is. Um. This is tougher though because I've seen I've seen a lot of both's work, but see Cassavetes, both of them do the same thing too. In a way, they you know Cassavetes was not averse to doing some junk to get some money. He did some junk. Oh, he definitely did junk. People forget that he did some real trash. Like I mean, George, maybe even like George (laughs) Kennedy levels of trash. Yeah, I mean, he did whatever he had to do. I mean, he was like Orson Welles. He was making money to try to finance his own project. So, uh, you know, Welles wasn't averse to doing junk either. Uh, oh, cool. You do what you got to do to pay the bills and to get money. Uh, I don't know, man. This one's a this one's sneaky hard. Uh, I'm gonna go Cassavetes. I, I, there's something about Cassavetes' presence I dislike a little bit more than Hoffman. He has an edge, or some sort of an edginess to his. Yeah, some kind presence. of rep, reptilian quality to him, mm-hmm. almost snake-like, or like I never really know if he's gonna turn on somebody. Or if he's going to be their best friend. You know what I mean? He's he, There's something that's kind of off about John Cassavetes. <laughs> I agree. I almost picked Mikey and Nikki. Like, I've been circling around it forever because mm. I do really love it. And I like Cassavetes. I was a little late to the Cassavetes game. but Yeah. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong. Hoffman's really great. I mean, there's some. Uh, Hoffman's great. He, he's one amazing of the great films in American the 70s. actors of his generation. I mean, oh, yeah. he's mentioned the same breath as your Hackman's, De Niro's, Pacino's, yeah, Nicholson's. Yeah. I mean, he's right there. If you look at his best films, they're right there. I almost rewatched um, Kramer versus Kramer, but I didn't because of <laughs> some personal stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a heavy one, man. So, um, but I remember that that movie was super powerful at the time, but I didn't understand why. I, I feel like I would totally. Understand why now? Yeah. So I'm. I'm yep. that, that is due for a rewatch for me. So looking forward. Yeah, that's looking that's forward to that rewatch. Not looking forward to that rewatch, but it is no. definitely one that I'm going to rewatch soon. So no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. 
Um, okay, so uh, we'll do maybe just one more. Okay. Hmm. Don Siegel or Michael Winner? <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is is Michael Winner is kind of like the low rent Don Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm sure Michael Winter would have told you that he was better than Siegel. He would have, for sure he would have. Uh but I think I think Don had more quality projects. Or I think Don had more of an eye for quality. Yes. I think Winter had great ideas, and thank God for Michael Winter. Yes. I mean he, he made some true garbage, but thank God for that garbage. I mean it's it's great garbage. Um, but Don Siegel is, and, and this is nothing new. Um, but I think we all agree. He, he was, he's one of the great underrated directors. Oh yeah. Big time, man. Um, he didn't really have a style, but when you go back and look at his films, you definitely get the Don Siegel quality, which I don't know what that is, but there's some type of audaciousness plus realism slash kind of bonkersness to his films that I think is it's, it's unique to him. And, uh, I mean, dirty Harry, just dirty Harry itself is, I mean, it's one of the great films. I mean, I've talked, I've thought about covering it on the show a thousand times, but I don't know what else we can add to it. Um, it's one of those, right. And, um, I thought about doing another, the other stuff he's done and we really don't do a lot of Don Siegel on the show. I don't know if we've done a whole lot of Don Siegel stuff to be honest with you. Not off the top of my head, I can't really think of a lot. No, and I love Siegel as a filmmaker. Yeah, I don't know why we haven't done a lot, because he's right up our alley. I mean, the Eurocrime genre itself is pretty much a derivative Don Siegel. <laughs> Big time, man. So, I, I don't know why we haven't done more of his films, but um, yeah, I'm going to go Don Siegel on this one. I like Michael Winter films. I know he's not the greatest filmmaker, but I, I love that he could turn and burn them, and for the most part, they're entertaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least I think so. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I love both filmmakers. I do think winners, obviously, like you said, a little trash here, but, but I think it was just, yeah, I don't know. He was, he was unapologetically joyful in his plying of the sleaze. Um, but I, I like Siegel. I, yeah. Winner's, winner's like some kind of weird mix of Don Siegel and Ken Russell. Oh, dude, I was just about to say that <laughs> Ken Russell. Yes. <laughs> like some kind of weird, Version. He doesn't have the visual flair of Ken Russell. Of Russell, but he does have that sort of, he likes to roll around in the juices in the bottom of the garbage bag. Yes, yes. Like Russell was never, stuff. yeah, Russell was never scared to, to, you know, make these high art pieces and get really trashy at the same time. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think Winter wanted to be that, but I just don't think he had the, the visual flair that Ken Russell had. No, I agree. I agree. But yeah, I'm going to go with Siegel too, as much as I love Winner. I just think Siegel's like, I think he's pretty underrated when we talk about within the context of what we love, which we love film, but we love genre film. And you think of stuff like, hey, we think of Dirty Harry's near Escape from Alcatraz's, but he did some really interesting things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm. Charlie Eric, mm-hmm. The Beguiled. The Shootist is a very interesting. Um, Swan song, right? I mean, that's a sort of a very melancholy film for John Wayne. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at his filmography to see if we've done any. 
Um, we didn't telephone, did we? No, we. Yeah, I don't think we've done one Don Siegel film. Did we do oh, Coogan? We we didn't do Coogan's Bluff, did we? No, I love Coogan's Bluff, though, man. I'd like to do. I feel like we Charlie Verrick's. I'd like to do the Beguiler, Charlie Verrick, man. I feel like we did do Coogan's Bluff. Maybe I need to go back and look. I feel like we did, but I don't know. But the Killers, you know, that's a good one. The Killers is awesome. Yeah, I mean, we if if we didn't do if we didn't do uh, Coogan's Bluff, then we have never covered it on single film on the show. Well, I got a little list here. Yeah. You and I have never covered a Don Siegel film on the show. Oh, and we both love him. Isn't that funny? He might be the one filmmaker. Yeah. The top of my head, we both quite enjoy their body of work. Mm-hmm. And we never even sniffed them. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. How about that? How about that? Well, there you go, man. There's one in there I've never seen that I've always wanted to see. Which one? Uh, the Black Windmill. Oh, I've seen The Black Windmill. It's pretty good. It's, it's uh, yeah, I saw that... Maybe when did I see that man? I don't know when I, I got it off uh, the site that shall not be named, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I caught it. It's it's solid. It's not great. You know, one of his I've always meant to see. I've never seen his Madigan. Uh, yeah, I've seen Madigan. Madigan's pretty good. Yeah, man, Madigan's pretty good. It's not it's not bad. It's not bad. It's pretty good. It's definitely Don Siegel ish. Yeah. All right, is that it for this or that? That's it for this or that. All right, we're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss Cotton Comes to Harlem. We'll be back right after this. I am Cotton Ed. And I am the Grave Digger. Cotton Comes to Harlem. found that song randomly and i thought well we'll use that we don't use a lot of reggae i just tell that will on on uh behind the scenes and there you go for those looking for that track it's uh by winston wright and the crystallites wicked man yeah it's pretty good i like it it's got a nice little groove to it all right here we go cotton comes to harlem so this one's kind of i guess it's kind of been in the background for a while in some ways right yeah, yeah, it totally has. Um, this is very early in the uh, "quote unquote" black exploitation game. I don't know when black exploitation officially hit as a genre, but this has to be early in that era. And this is directed by Ossie Davis, who made a few films. Stars uh, Jeffrey or Godfrey Cambridge, not Jeffrey Godfrey Cambridge, who we've talked about before. Um, he died young. Well, really young, man. 43, younger yeah. than both of us. Yeah, yeah. Hey, evidently, we kind of talked about this a long time ago when we covered a film he was in, but uh, he evidently he had serious weight issues. Like he was a big time overeater and he was always kind of doing power diets to get down to be in movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those those can be detrimental to your health. And uh, evidently he suffered a heart attack. Um, so uh, I think he was supposed to play Idi Amin or something like that. And he suffered a heart attack. And of course, Edie Amin said God was punishing him. Yeah, well, this right. is Edie Amin we're talking about. Come on, man. Yeah. 
Uh, Raymond St. Jocks, who hadn't been on the show in a while. I love Raymond St. Jocks. I'm just going to oh, say man. it. He's so good. So good. He's so underrated as an actor. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he didn't live very long either. He only made it to 60. But, man, he, I always liked him. He always uh, had this kind of authority figure. He was on a lot of television when I was growing up. So I saw him a lot. Yeah, he was. It, it's interesting. I didn't know this. I'm not going to pretend I just pulled this out of a hat. He was the first African-American actor to appear regularly on a, like a Western series on uh, Rawhide. So, Yeah, he's great. Trailblazer, man. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he's, he's super underrated. I really believe that. I agree uh, with you. Another underrated actor, I think, Calvin Lockhart, who plays oh, dude. Reverend Deke O'Malley in this. So, fun fact, Sammy, you didn't know this. I was so close to picking another Calvin Lockhart jam for Love Month, Melinda. Oh, okay. All right. Like it was like coin flip. I was like, which one? Which one? Which one? And then I just went with this. But I'm gonna pick Melinda somewhere down the road because it's nice. got Vanessa McGee in it. It's just yeah, different jam. Calvin, he 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 uh, he passed away in 2007. I didn't know if he was still around or not. But Calvin's fun. You know, he's popped up in all kinds of stuff. Everything from this and to Predator Two. If you remember, he's in that playing King Willie. Yeah, <laughs> he pops up in uh, Twin Peaks. He's worked with uh, he worked with uh, David uh, Lynch a couple times. Wild at Heart, he was in that. So he he pops up every now and then. He's an interesting actor, very um, how you say unique vocal delivery. You know, who it reminds me of what? Harry Belafonte. He does. He does have that quality. Um, they're both uh, Islanders. I think he's either Bayesian. I can't remember where he's from now. I think he might be Bayesian. I'd have to check. I'll look and see if it's in his uh, in his uh, Bahamian. Uh, so he's Bahaman. Uh, Bahamian? So yeah. the Bahamas area. Nassau, looks like. Nassau, great city. Beautiful city. Uh, Calvin great. Lockhart's is the working name. Born Burt Cooper. You couldn't have a more different name than Burt Cooper than Calvin Lockhart. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he made a good professional decision to go with Calvin Lockhart. He did. He did. Um you know, a fun a fun uh, fact about Calvin Lockhart, some people may not know this, but um uh Biggie Smalls. Yes. Uh you know, that that name comes from a Calvin Lockhart character uh from uh Let's Do It Again, which I believe is a uh Sydney pa- uh, Sydney Poitier uh Bill Cosby film that I've been yep. wanting to I've been wanting to talk about those films forever, but I keep waiting for the Bill Cosby shit to kind of go away a little bit. So you know, because I just uh, right now it's still a little too raw, and I don't feel like. I mean, it's just, he's such a disappointment that I don't really want to talk about him right now. So yeah. Yeah. I'm just waiting for some of that to go away a little bit more. But I've been wanting to talk about those two films, those two or three films those guys did together for the longest time. But also about you know Calvin Lockhart. If you kind of go back and look at his filmography, I mean, he was in Dark of the Sun. I mean, some of the other stuff we've covered. He's he's been around our uh, circle for a while. So he was in that as well. I don't know if you remember him in that, but he was in that. But probably not a speaking role, if I had to guess. But I, I don't know that for a fact. But he's got some good films. And and for the record, I I really like him in this film. Uh, Red Fox. We get Red Fox in here. The great Red Fox. I don't know if much needs to be said. Really, one of the great early kind of, uh, like Lenny Bruce, one of the great kind of comedians who wasn't afraid of profanity. And uh, was very like transgressive in that way. Uh, weirdly, kind of became a TV sensation. Uh, playing Fred Sanford and and uh, being this kind of PG-rated uh, comedian. I, I know I was shocked when I heard Red Fox records when I got older to find out Red Fox was that kind of comedian compared to what he played on TV because it's, it's fucking, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Judy Pace, the wonderful and beautiful Judy Pace here. 
Um, get to see a lot of Judy Pace in this film. A whole lot. A whole lot of Judy Pace. Oh, you, know, you certainly do. I think this was her first role, and she was like, well, actresses are all doing it now, so I'm just going to do it. it i got to say, for 1970, mm. you see all of her. You see, and yeah, you see all of Judy Pace, yes. It's, it's a pretty pretty brave thing, I think. You know, As I've gotten older, you become more self-aware, and I'm not running down, streaking down the streets anymore. And uh, yeah, wow. And let's 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 talk about it too. A bit of the elephant in the room here. Like, this got a release, right? African American filmmaker. After you know, it's it's an African American film, and Judy Pace is an African American woman, fully nude on screen for an extended period of time. Yeah. At a time when I mean, this is still 1970, right? So. <clears throat> yeah, very early in the cycle. I mean, there's still not a whole lot of nudity in mainstream films. Mm-mm. I mean, there's some. Obviously, the barriers are being broken, but this one's. Yep. And this one's uh, this one's going to be interesting. I mean, you're going to hear us talk about that quite a bit. This is a bit of a kind of a vanguard type film, kind of a harbinger of things to come in a lot of ways uh, for the 70s, because this is very early, probably shot in 69. Times are changing. Uh, so you get the, you get some interesting uh, things out of this. You get uh, John Anderson as one of as one of the heavies in this. Every time I see him, I think of the band, the punk band, The Clash, because there's one member, <laughs> there's one member of The Clash who would wear a beret. And whatnot, and kind of look. Uh, not no, not John. He plays Captain Bryce. I'm talking about uh, uh, JD JD Cannon. I'm sorry, JD Cannon is the one that I always yeah. think looks like the guy in the Clash that played bass or something like that. So, uh, Teddy Wilson's in here. If you don't know Teddy Wilson, you do know Teddy Wilson. He's one of those character actors. One of my favorite actors who uses the term "baby" is, yes. is Teddy Wilson because he is one of the greats at going, "What's wrong with you, baby?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i can't remember the film that i really fell in love with him with i'm looking through his filmography right now but there's something that i, I really attribute to him most of the time he was on tv a lot and uh he was in carney weirdly I, I don't remember him in carney but i guess he was in carney wow which we covered so i don't know he did a lot of work in a short amount of time devil's express he's in that a lot of TV, Black Eye, Rollout, Cotton Comes to Home is his film debut. How about that? His film debut as well. Oh. Yeah, he died young as well. A lot of unfortunate dying of young folks here. Cleavon Little, and I'll finish it off with Helen Martin, who plays the yes. older older black lady, the church sister, <laughs> and kind of a, some fun moments in that. Really um, moments, yeah, She's yeah, yeah. Classic, hey, it's her. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. I, I think she looked the same age from 1970 until the year she... Probably before that, until she died. Yeah. Uh, she's one of them actresses. So, so she was born in 1909, and she made it to 2000. So she went a long way. But I feel like she never changed. She never changed. She was always that lady. Um, okay, let's, let's get into this a little bit here. I had not seen this one in a long time. But I remember liking this one quite a bit back when I saw it. And it's not quite like... Black exploitation films, you guys think you for those who have not seen a lot of black exploitation films, this one isn't quite like what you think it is. It has uh it has the elements that Fred Williamson and Larry Cohen and and uh the the uh the Jim Brown films and everybody else would kind of become they would kind of become the norm, the Jack Hill films and everything else, they become a little bit more, and even the the Jack Starr films. I I, I can't remember that one. The one uh no. the Dion Brothers? No, uh, the black exploitation film he did, oh. Cleo, oh, uh, Cleopatra Jones. Yeah, yeah. So 
he, uh, you know, the, these films would become more about the hero of the black character. But for a time there, there were just these films that were being made that just had black leads and they weren't about the, the black hero so much. You know what I mean? Like the coffee, like Pam Greer, Jim Brown, uh, Richard Roundtree films, they're a different breed. They, they are socially, uh, culpable and interesting, but they're more almost like comic book films. And when you compare them to stuff like across 110th street, which we, we, we did, we did that film. Great film. Or what's the one that Tarantino is a huge fan of. Um, I think we covered it as well. I can't remember. Ah, oh, shit. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, uh, I'll, I'll look and see if I can find it. Uh, but this this is in that vein. This is more in that vein. This vein of, you know, Super, Superfly was kind of like, for me, Superfly is kind of like the beginning of the change to the black hero. Right. It became more an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. This still feels, it's interesting, yeah, because I think you bring up a great point. This film doesn't feel like a lot of the, whoa, something just fell. Did, you, did Mike pick that up? Mike picked that up, yeah. Man, something thudded. It wasn't the midnight thud either. I don't know what it was. Um, but uh, I thought you just dropped your wallet, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, but this film feels very different than a lot of the black exploitation films that came afterwards. It feels, and I can't quite articulate it, but I'm watching it, and I'm. It feels different than, and I, I don't want to say some of the ones that came afterwards were cynical cashins because I love a lot of them. A lot of them are great. It's before the for, sort of the formula had been set or it like had been baked in, and it just feels like the voice is a little different, and and that obviously comes from having an African American filmmaker who wants to have representation and wants to make a film that, let's face it, the film industry was a little bit different then too. This is 1970; things are just starting to really change and get a little more kind of fuzzy and vulgar and wild, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It, in some ways, like if you make this cast an all-white cast, for example, I mean, it doesn't really change. I mean, there's some cultural stuff in here, which is important, obviously. But this film, the template for this film could have been translated anywhere, anywhere in the world, really, right? Right. Um, with a few kind of socio or social uh, insights that, that this film brings that are unique to the black experience in America. But um, – yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up anyway. Not to ramble. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think, you know, some people are going to tune into this film. They're going to watch, listen to the show. And I just want them to be prepared. I mean, Black Exploitation ran the gamut. It did. They did all kinds of stuff. They did horror films. They did uh, Ganjan Hess is a horror film. And, you know, Abby's an exorcist riff. And then there's, uh, you know, there, there's action films, obviously. And, and mostly it seems like the genre is kind of remembered for the action films. Yeah. Um, either super pimps or super anti-heroes of some sort. And we love those films, Truck Turner and and uh, Jim Brown films. and Trouble Man. Yeah, Shaft, Trouble Man's a good one. Yeah, that's a good example. A Cool Breeze, which is cool one. Cool Breeze, man. Raymond St. Jock's in that one. Yes, he is. Um, there's these films that are that were made like that. Uh, even Candy Tangerine Man and, and Black Shampoo, the other film that uh, that actor did. That was the genre. I think that's the genre people. That's the type of film people associate with that word the most. But the truth is, like across 110th Street in this film, there's a lot of great movies actually made in there. And I honestly believe. I don't know how I feel about this film in the scope of cinema history, but I do believe this is one of the great black exploitation films. 
Yeah. Uh, I really do. I think this one's really good. This one's saying a lot about race relations in America. Big time. Without hitting you over the head on with it. Because it happens so kind of casual, matter of fact. Like, it it's just part of, it's part of the society they live in without any sort of stop, pause, um, commentary on it, right? Right. Just keep, they just have to learn, they've lived, they've learned to live with it for better or worse, right? Yeah. Because of institutions and the way things are. Yeah. Um, so the basic plot synopsis here is two Harlem cops investigate a robbery, believing that a reverend has staged it in order to steal the money he's collected for a local fundraiser. So this one kind of opens with a bang and, uh, kind of gets going, shoots an action scene. I don't know how much Ossie Davis had shot action scenes in his life, but he does a pretty good job with a pretty great car chase in the beginning of this one. I'll tell you what, it's an awesome car chase. It's got some real gate, great gunplay. Yeah. There's ma- like these guys in the masks. Um, it's a really, like it wouldn't be out of, speaking of Don Siegel. Yeah. It wouldn't be out of place in like a Peckinpah or Don Siegel film. Yeah. And you know, Ossie, this is his filmmaking debut. Um, I don't know that I've seen a whole lot of his other stuff. He only directed films from 70 to about 76. Uh, cool red being his last film i know i've never seen that i feel like i've seen gordon's war but i don't think i've seen anything else except field man yeah i think i've seen gordon's war and i've seen uh this film and uh, that's all of his directed films i've seen i've seen a lot of ossie davis performances but not a a lot of directed films i don't know why i don't know why i never saw the other films he did like black girl and and other stuff i know there's one he did with ruby d and him because they were together for a long time Oh yeah, and, together for like sixty like sixty years they were married. Man. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so I don't know why I didn't see the other ones, but I just haven't. But I will say that you know this is this is one hell of a film debut. I mean, this is this is the key with this film is again it's a film that takes itself seriously. It's it's not well not too seriously. It is kind of absurd in moments. There are moments when they're throwing characters through the air. There's yeah. moments where they're doing all kinds of weird stuff. There's some comedy bits, right? Yeah. Like there's some it feels like this film is trying to give a little and and how do I say this? It feels like it wants to give a little bit of something to everyone that's gonna watch. Keeping in mind that there wasn't a lot of representation uh for people of color in films at the time. Yeah. Right? So yeah. It almost uses like that Bollywood formula where it's like going to the movies is a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We're gonna put a little bit of comedy, a little bit of nudity. A little bit of action, a little bit of social commentary. You know, we're going to put something in for for the all audiences to see. Like, so if you know someone's more interested in kind of the the silly comedy or the bit with uh, <laughs> the funny bit with um, Helen Martin, where her dress is getting cut out the back, and like they're going to put something in for everyone. Right, right. They got little comedy bits. Red Fox shows up every now and then to be funny. Yeah. Um, and even the the white cop. The, you know, the white humor, which is something that's pretty normal in this genre, too. Yeah. Kind of them kind of poking fun, you know, back at the the white people sometimes, which is pretty yeah. natural for the genre. And, and But it, it's pretty good, too, uh, the, those little bits. I mean, Judy Pace really kind of has her fun with the kind of goofy character. that, And, again, some of the jokes don't land nowadays. This was a different time. Sure. There's some homosexual jokes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as is normal for this genre, sometimes it's kind of heavy in the testosterone. Um. I don't know if we ever talked about. Do we ever? I mean, I know we talked about Godfrey Cambridge before. Um, probably mostly known for the Watermelon Man, right? Yes, I would uh, think so. Which is a bit of a controversial film, anyway. It's a transgressive film, 
uh, uh, Mario, uh, Melvin Van Peebles, sorry, not Mario. And uh, I would say at best, The Watermelon Man is an acquired taste kind of movie. You either love it or you hate it, I think. Yeah. But uh, Godfrey Cambridge is an interesting actor. Great face. I think he was a stand-up comedian. Mostly. He was. Yeah. Big time, man. He was He was huge. Big, big, big comedian. And I can't say I'm familiar with his work. I only know that from doing research. But he was, yeah, one of the biggest African-American comedians of the time. Yeah. He's got a great face. Uh, these kind of great, lazy, almost Garfield-like eyes. Yeah. They really work in this movie. This movie may have the most side eye of any movie I think I've ever seen. Oh, man. Like, there's characters constantly looking out of the side of their face. I'll tell you what. I, I, I So I picked this film remembering it for their friendship. Watching it again now, I feel validated in that. Because they have such a great, easy, lived-in chemistry together. Yeah, I think what really works is Coffin Ed, that's the Raymond St. Jock's uh, character, he's more of a hothead, more of a... Serious. Yeah, he's more of a big guy. I think in real life, I think I read that St. Jock's was like six foot three. So he's a a bigger gentleman, um, much more serious looking. He looks a little bit more mature than the Gravedigger Jones character played by Godfrey Cambridge. So I think Godfrey calms him down. As a matter of fact, there's many moments in the film where he tells... Coffin Ed to kind of take it easy. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to go too far with police brutality or whatnot because Coffin Ed is quick for a slap. I mean, he'll slap some people around. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like the Maurizio Merrily, man. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he totally, he's, he's slapping people left and right in this movie, men or women. It doesn't matter. He's slapping, he's slap happy. And uh, he slaps the shit out of uh, Judy Pace at one point. Um, and Godfrey Cambridge is like, you need to calm down. And and then of course I think they beat the living shit out of Calvin Lockhart at some point in the movie, or nearly, or yeah, or nearly beat the shit out of him anyway. Um, But Godfrey Cambridge is kind of fun. He's kind of the calm character, but he's also kind of the the cipher of the movie for me. In in that he, there's moments like when they come into Judy Pace's apartment looking for the Reverend. There's a moment where something is said, and he says something back to Iris, and then he says, "Is that black enough for you?" Oh, yeah. And that's where I think this movie is interesting. I think this movie is interesting in that it's playing with black stereotypes a little bit and black history without being too on the nose. I don't think the N-word is ever uttered in this movie, which uh, I find that impressive. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that it, it isn't, and I think that was obviously, at least if we're recalling it correctly, a very conscious decision by Ossie Davis. And we should say... Yeah, I'm pretty sure they never say the word. I, I do not remember them saying the word in the film. For those that don't know, Ossie Davis and Ruby D were very heavily involved in the civil rights movement. So I have to think that was a conscious decision. Yeah. I have to believe so, too. I mean, I, I you know, I know that word is popular in the genre. I know that word is still popular in hip-hop. I, I will never understand it. To be honest with you, I, I'm a fuddy-duddy that way. I I don't understand the, the that 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 word has continued to exist. Mm. I, I'm still uncomfortable when I hear the word. I will still not listen to hip hop songs if they have that word in it. Yeah, I'm, I I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan because uh, I just don't think I just don't think it's I I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't see people like that, so I don't want to hear that. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, shame on me or whatever. Maybe I'm missing out on some great music and stuff, but I don't feel like I am. I feel like I'm, you know, I have my certain guidelines, and one of my guidelines is I don't like calling African-American slang words, even if it's another African-American. I don't like it when Tarantino uses it. I got to be honest with you. I don't like it in movies that much. I really don't. I just find it uncomfortable and awkward. Um, But I'm able to kind of parse it with movies only because sometimes the characters are prejudiced. And uh, honestly, I I don't know why that is. I can parse it with that, and I can't parse it with music. But it's it's a personal pet peeve. Call it whatever you want to call it. It just is what it is. Um, But I don't think it's uttered in this, and I think that's what's also impressive about this movie. This movie is... It's like a Spike Lee film in a way, although Spike Lee does use that word quite a bit. It's like a Spike Lee film in a way in that I never really felt like I was watching a quote-unquote black film. I feel like I'm just watching a cop movie and a good cop movie at that. Yeah, it is a good cop movie. And and I, this is where I want to tread lightly here. Listen, let's be very, very transparent about... Um, you know, we're we're not people of color, right? I mean, I have indigenous heritage, but we're not people of color. So we're saying it from our perspective here, right? And like, I have to think and I have to wonder, and this is where I would have loved, I don't know if this, this has a, a commentary track or something like that that would give us some insight into Aussie Davis's mm-hmm. approach. Like, was he just trying to make something universal and was accessible and could say, look, you know, there's really universal things going on here, regardless of skin color. Right. Like, you know, I don't know if what what that was. I mean, there's certain flourishes, you know, you get the Apollo Theater and things like that. But it I have to wonder how much of this was sort of a conscious decision to just make it very universal. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I don't know if it's that. I think it's more just Ossie Davis is like, you know, we can make movies. That's right. And it doesn't need to be. It doesn't have to be that, but he does find a way to get politics into it. And by saying that, he doesn't do it the way that he does it the way that I would think is the best way to do it. Like so, the whole idea of Cotton comes to Harlem. In case you guys are listening and don't understand, there's this bale of cotton ends up in Harlem, and that in and of itself is a political statement. Absolutely, it is because cotton doesn't find itself raw cotton on the streets probably happens but it doesn't just pop up out of nowhere and so it's kind of like a MacGuffin for the film it but, totally is. but it's the MacGuffin that has political semblance because as we know a good chunk of African Americans were in the south and they were picking cotton it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a thankless job it's a terrible job uh, hot uh, prickly cut hands awful awful gig and uh, there's a whole subset of culture of probably actors in this whose parents probably did stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a political statement there. And then there's the other political statement, which is there's the militant black folks in the film. There's the also the political statement of the overly religious black folks in the film, which I believe is also a statement he's making. He's kind of talking about all of the stereotypes of his own people, but he's also treating them with a semblance of uh, a semblance of class, not, not overly because none of the characters in this film are perfect. Raymond St. Jocks is overly violent. Godfrey Cambridge is a bit seedy and yeah. a bit, a bit, you know, a bit snarky and sneaky. 
Uh, Calvin Lockhart is a, you know, he's a, a reverend in power. So he's a bit of a sniveling shit. Oh yeah. He's, he's, he gets, yeah. No, it's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a gross character. Uh, Red Fox is always out to make a buck. <laughs> the, the, even the, the character actor I talked about that I loved in the film, Teddy Wilson, when Iris shows up nearly naked at the Apollo, I mean, he may as well be raping her with his eyeballs. Yeah. He's like goggling over. And of course I, I can't, I would, I'd be doing the same thing as Judy Pace and she's naked except for like a sheer little kind of waistcoat, uh, outfit. Oh yeah. Uh, and she's a beautiful woman. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd probably be staring at her too, but it's just these moments, but he never stays on them very long and he keeps the story moving along and he doesn't comment on their behavior, which is what I like. He just kind of, these well, characters, judges. yeah, he doesn't judge or anything. These characters are what they are. This is the good guy. This is the bad guy. They're all after this one MacGuffin, but really it's all about the story of the relationship between Raymond St. Joss and Godfrey Cambridge and how they're these great cops who do things their own way and get results. And that's what makes it a great cop movie uh, because that is a staple of the cop genre, right? I mean, that goes all the way to Lethal Weapon or anything else. You always have cops who, in these stories, do things their own way. And, of course, that speaks to the humanities kind of you know, we want to go to work and we want to listen to our boss, but we also want to challenge our boss sometimes and do things our own way to kind of prove a point. And I think this genre is that, uh, or this film is that I should say, not this genre, but I think the film, you know, pound for pound, it's just a really well-made movie. Like it's never boring. Yep. It, it tells its story efficiently. It's action packed. It's got great shootouts. That great. It's got a great scene at the dock. Um, I love that scene quite a bit because he's up on top watching and everything else. And so you got his camera view, the Godfrey Cambridge character. You got his view of the ground. Um, it's both political and completely entertaining at the same time. And I think it shows the power of storytelling that you can do that. Like it can talk about the plight of the African-American man. Although you do have successful African-American men in the film. You got two uh, great detectives. Um, but you can also see the, the struggles of the African-American man, the Cleavon little character, um, the red Fox character, uncle bud, always uh, struggling for a buck. I can't remember the name of that other character. Um, there's another actor, character actor in the film uh, who hangs out with, uh, hangs out with low boy, the cleave Cleavon little character. I can't remember his name. I'm looking now. Not, not dumb, dumb. Can't remember his name, Billy Boy. No, Chicken Man. <laughs> These great names in this film. <laughs> uh, Early Riser. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets killed, and uh, you know, Cleon can Cleon's character can barely handle it. Little boy, he can barely handle it. Like it's his best friend, and it's another moment where a character is flying through the air. It's a great moment actually, where somebody gets hit by a car and just flying through the air. There's some flair. There's some flair in this movie. There's some. I, I, every time I watch this, I'm impressed with how well this is made for a first time filmmaker. Um, I don't know how much or where he learned to make movies. All I know is that I was super impressed as I always am with, uh, this film and, and the way he directed it. I mean, it's, it's, it's tight. It's, it's, it's damn near like a, almost like a perfect cop film in so many ways. And, you know, it doesn't waste a lot of time either. It doesn't, 
you get just the basics of the characters you need. You don't need a whole lot of detail on the characters. You get just no. the basics. And yet somehow it comes away and it makes you think, like all good political films do, it makes you think about society and the ills of society and how these things happen. It's amazing, too, the the production work. Seeing Harlem in this era is amazing. Oh, oh, it is. Yeah, it's just amazing. The old cars are amazing. I really love those. Um, the clothes, obviously. All that stuff. A lot of great character actors in here. A lot of names we aren't mentioning, but there's a lot of great character actors in here that... One cop that kind of is on the Gravedigger and Coffin uh, on the on their side. He's a great actor, character actor. Yep. And then uh, there's that guy that they, they buy junk from. That's a character actor. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's in a lot of stuff. Um, just great little moments. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where this stands in the history of black exploitation films, if that's what you want to call it. Um, but it's it. It continues to be one of the more impressive, I think, versions of a film. And it's an adult film. It's, you know, there's nudity, there's violence, there's car chases, there's uh, punches to the face, a lot of punches and slaps to the face. <laughs> yeah, there's, there there's comedy, there's everything. And uh, I think pound for pound, this is, it's got to be one of the best films in the genre. It's a good I one. Don't, I don't know where it stands, though. That's the weird thing. Because there's so many really good ones, but I gotta believe that for me, this is like top ten black exploitation. Yeah, it's a, it's it's definitely a good one, man. It's definitely a good one, and like I said, you know, bonus points. It's it's directed by a person of color, right? There's a there's a mindfulness about representation as opposed to just churning it out. Yeah, you know, because it was like a breakdance film. It's a it's a quote unquote black film. Like this was someone who wanted to make a film, a good film, no matter you know, regardless of color. Uh, and Ossie Davis set out to do that, and he did that. Like you said, it's a good cop film. It, it ticks a lot of boxes. It's 1970s, so I mean, it's that car chase is great. Uh, United Artists, we should say United Artists put this out, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, there you go, right? Um, but I love seeing early Harlem. Yeah, uh, it's great. Uh, you know, it just, it's it's unvarnished. There's hydrants popping. There's garbage. There's, <laughs> yeah. you know, just, uh, it's a sight to behold. Um, yeah, that's all I got. I'll kick it over to you. Nice. I'll, I'll try to run through because you, you ticked a lot of boxes yourself in the review. Uh, early on, the Calvin Lockhart speech near the beginning of the film really feels to me like Walter Hill saw this and was like, just even the mannerisms and the physicality that Lockhart uses remind me very much of um, Cyrus's speech. The reactions of the crowd, him using his arms, hmm. you know, it feels very much like Walter Hill. It wouldn't be surprised if he lifted from this for that. Hmm. Um, yeah, even, the, uh, even the, the later on, the robe. Oh yeah, that uh, Calvin Lockhart wears. Yeah, man, it's very, very Cyrus-like. Very Cyrus-like. Uh, yeah, old cars equals fishtailing during car chase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, I mean, we we didn't mention. I don't know if you're going to mention it, but oh, you know, they 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 do eventually hit a fruit stand. They totally do, man. They totally do. <laughs> it's uh, probably the second worst watermelon massacre we've had in our show after Mister Majestic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a serious watermelon massacre, and you can't tell me it's not political commentary. That's right. That two black men hit a cart full of watermelons. Yeah, but we can say this: despite uh, Saint Jacques and Cambridge's best efforts, they still can't top the the titan of watermelon carnage, Al Letieri. Yes, 
Yes. Nobody was a heavier watermelon murderer than Al Lettieri. Man. He fucking hated watermelons. What's with him in food? There's him with the watermelon masker. There's him sucking on those rib bones so gross in the getaway. I don't know. I don't know. But if he's eating in a film, I'm probably looking the other way. I, yeah. Oof. Um, but yeah, talked about the chemistry. Great stuff. Um, what else do we got? Good car explosion here. Good car explosion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some good car stuff in here. Yeah. We get a karate chop on the throat. Oh, yeah. The chop game is back. Chop game's back, man. Chop game's back. And I love that this film feels very like it's it's in its own self-contained world. Mm. Right? Yeah. People. people um, yeah, it never, just, le- it never leaves Harlem for the record. No. Well, it feels very self-contained, which I like. Uh, did you see that that store in this, The Chili Woman? Uh, I, 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 I called Chili Woman. I didn't, and now I need to go back and look. I don't think I've ever seen the Chili Woman. We need to go. We need to make a pit stop. If Chili Woman, I'm gonna look that up, man. Chili yeah. Woman, Harlem. I wonder if it's still around. Yeah, I doubt. I doubt it, but you know, who knows? You never know. Some of these things last. I went to a pizza place last night, actually, uh, Louisville Pizza Place. It's only in Louisville. Oh and, wow! Uh, Someone it, writes uh, on Twitter. I'm gonna call it X. Of all the businesses I want to know about in the great montages and Ossie Davis's cotton comes to Harlem, Chili Woman is number one. <laughs> there you go. There you go, man. Yeah, I know. I went, to a, I went to a pizza place last night that's synonymous with uh, where I'm from. And it's the kind of place, I'm not going to mention the name, but it's the kind of place where, you know, one guy has owned this place for 53 years and uh, he still will not take credit cards or bank cards of any sort. He'll only take cash. Old school. Old school, man. Yeah. Um, I love there's that riff, the, the comedic beats when the one guy goes, where'd you learn that dirty Swahili, those them dirty Swahili words? And he goes, ask your mama. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> I laughed at that, but he didn't miss a beat. Um, Ossie Davis, uh, and by extension, I guess, Gerald Hirschfeld, the DOP, gives us that Mrs. Robinson leg angle shot. Oh, yeah. Which I love. Um, we talked about... Uh, Lockhart sounded a bit like Belafonte to me. And another thing, interracial nudity, man. Which, again, this day and age seems so ridiculous to talk about. But Oh, yeah, back then that would have been a hot topic, baby. A hot potato, man. Uh, And I love that scene's funny, man, with the bag on his head. He's running up and down the hall. Like, you know where it's going, but it's still, I kind of laughed. He's running around the hallways naked, paper bag on his head, shooting his gun. It's just the height of absurdity. Um, Yeah, what else do we got? Um, we get uh, again I, I want to say this we've talked about her nudity in the film but I really feel like we get a really strong performance here uh, very physical very intense from Judy Pace's Iris yeah right she doesn't feel out of her depth she doesn't feel slight you know she really really delivers um, she really does and, and her character has a full arc Oh yeah. Like it starts out as this as uh Godfrey Cambridge says this stone cold fox. Mhm. But if you watch the film, her character has complete a complete arc. Yeah. And it's really it's really pretty great. Yep. And I love how the characters keep saying what is Cotton doing in Harlem? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Again, for a political statement. Um not a whole lot more to say, just one troubling thing at the back end of this film. 
when they lower that massive curtain at the theater, do you see what it says on it? Uh, you know what? I didn't. It says asbestos. Yeah, well, that would. <laughs> that, that was a huge curtain. <laughs> well, again, asbestos is bad, and, and and it's only bad when you stir it up. Yes, that's right. I mean, there's asbestos still in things, but it's the removal of asbestos and the, the applying of asbestos that's the problem. Yeah, I, but I can imagine, like, raising and dropping a curtain. Yeah, you would think. I, I'll just say this. I, I would I would not want to be around it all the time, no. 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 Um, those are all my notes, man. You, like I said, you covered a lot of ground on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is, this is a great love story. You know, we've tried to do, this is the third love story we've done. This one's not just about the love of these two guys for each other, but also the love of what's right and wrong and, and love uh, of community and love of community. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a deeper story than what it looks like on a surface. I think this is what film and, you know, art can do. It can give us something entertaining and make us think at the same time. Like, I never felt pulverized by the message of this film, but I clearly saw the message of the film the whole time I was watching it. So, Ossie Davis, very smart gentleman anyway. So, oh, yeah. clearly he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um, uh, MVT, in saying that, I'm going to go with Ossie. What a, what a filmmaking debut. I mean, one of the great filmmaking debuts. Not talked about very often. Um, I think this is one of the great first films. Uh, and I'm, uh, as far as there's a lot of make or break moments in the film, I like when they pop up in Iris's apartment. I like the Iris seduction scene. That's a lot of fun. Um, I, one, I think they're looking at that book, uh, race and sex. Uh, everybody keeps reading that book, which is yeah. also a bit of a transgressive statement in and of itself. Um, the scene of the siege at the cop station is pretty great. Uh, whenever Raymond St. Jackson, Godfrey Cambridge are intimidating people. Or asking questions is pretty great. But I'm going to go with the opening, man. This thing opens with a bang. It gets going. And it, honestly, I don't think it ever really lets up. It never really has that much action again, but it never really lets up either. So I'm going to go with that opening. It's a really good car chase. Uh, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 8 out of 10 on this one. I mean, this is a, this is a Stone Cold classic. This is, a, this is a really good movie. And I don't think it's got a Blu-ray or anything. I think it's only got a DVD. Is it, I think it's one of those like I think it was one of those soul cinema releases. You remember those? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I watched this for those in the states. Will always loves this. I watched this on Pluto TV, <laughs> which we have Pluto here. I wonder if it's on Pluto because I caught it. So it's on Tubi here. No, it's not on. I, it's not on Tubi here. That's weird. Oh yeah, but I rented it from Apple TV. Yeah, yeah. So it's on. Uh, it's on Pluto TV, and Pluto TV has an on-demand section where they keep some films, and uh, that's how I watch it. Looks like it does have a Blu-ray. Oh, cool. But it might be a Region B Blu-ray. Wicked Vision put it out. It's got a 32-page booklet with essay. Okay. Audio commentary track. There we go. With Dr. Gerd Nauman and Christopher Clace. So this is... Oh, this is a German release. Interesting. And it looks like a nice release. Yeah, might have to check it out. Out of stock. Want, want, shit. Yeah. Diabolic was carrying it. <clears throat> Looks, I mean, this is one that needs to be. It needs, it needs another release. Like Kino or Arrow yeah. or, or something. Blu-ray or at least Blu-ray or maybe a 4K. Maybe. There's not a whole lot of black exploitation on 4K yet, so that's a shame. Needs to be some more of it. Some great yeah. films in there. But I'll kick it over to you for Make or Breaks MBTs now. Make or Break. I'm also going to go with that that opening. Just whiz bang. We got our cops. We get like there's there's it's like a Dirty Harry film. It really is. Incredible cart with a seagull. Almost uh, William Freakin' like. 
or Friedkin. Like, that's a great chase. So while that isn't sort of the most emotionally resonant moment in the film. You know, you know what it is? It's underrated chase, like the the one in uh, Seven, Ups. Seven Ups. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's, it's an underrated totally car chase. It really is. Yeah. When I'm going to talk about underrated car chases, this this has to be there, yep. right? It has to be. It's really good. The back of the door is open, the shootout, the mirrors are getting shot off, the windshield. It's good, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, MVT, I, I want to go with Ossie Davis. I do because it's his rodeo. But I just I want to go with our leads, St. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cambridge. I just I love them together, man. I love that they're a little different, but it never feels uh, like a gimmick. It feels organic. And that's the thing I love about um, about their this it's the main reason I picked it. Right? It's the main reason I picked it. Yeah, yeah. Um so I do want to say this. If people have not seen it. Uh, and you you see this film, and you want you want to see more of the exploits of uh, Gravedigger and Coffin Ed. There's a sequel, or quasi sequel of sorts, Come Back Charleston Blue, right? Which, not directed by Ossie Davis, but it's still got uh, Godfrey Cambridge, Raymond St. Jacques, etc. Donny Hathaway does a score, the soundtrack, so you know it's good there. Warner Brothers put it out. I don't think I've seen that. Uh, yeah, we should we should check it out sometime, man. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that. I don't think I've seen that one. So it's it almost to be honest, I, I'm selling it here. Not as good, but it feels like uh, it's like a like a Scooby Doo. It's like those guys in a Scooby a Scooby Doo world. Hmm. So yeah, definitely have not seen that. Interesting. I I am looking into it now. There you go. Yeah, I need to check that. I need to yeah, I need to check that out. Looks like it's pretty well regarded in some ways. Yeah, it's solid. It's solid for sure. You know, we didn't mention the Italian actor Leonardo Cimino, who pops up in this. Oh, yeah. Good small <laughs> turn. Yeah, good small turn. Uh, I always think he's not Italian. Like, he always seems like Eastern European to me. Yeah, he does. He seems like he's Romanian or something. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably because he's played those kind of characters before. Well, he's probably played, yeah, for yeah. sure. But he's a great character actor. And you guys probably don't know his name off the top of your head. But trust me, if you see him, oh, you will know him. Yeah. You will know him immediately. I'm looking through Godfrey Cambridge's filmography. What did we cover that he was in? He's been in a couple of things we've covered. So we did um, uh, Splendor in the Grass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, shout out my mom. Yep. We did that, uh, you know, some time ago. What else have we done with Cambridge? Todd Todd and I did Beware the Blob. Oh, yeah, you did. That's right. Yeah, we did that one. Friday Foster. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably the one. Yeah, there we go. We do five on the black hand side. I can't remember. I don't recall that. We didn't. I've been wanting to do the president's analyst for a long time, so we might do that I sometime soon. So game because I've never seen it and I've always wanted to. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird little movie. It's a weird movie. Um, it's a, but it's a fun one and in, in its weirdness. It's just one of those ones like you're kind of surprised it exists. No, I'm totally it's game. A Coburn film. You know, we haven't had Jimmy C on in a while. We have not. Uh, what I always remember about that film is it's directed by a gentleman named Theodore Flicker. And oh, I used yeah. to always joke around and say, hey, man, I got to check out some Teddy Flicker flicks. Well, that would be a good uh, a good call. How about this tagline? Great tagline. Only two people on earth want Sidney Schaefer alive. Sidney Schaefer and the president of the United States. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an underseen film. It's really good. Um, all right. So that's the big show. Yeah. 
That is the big show. <clears throat> Next week, we're coming back. We're closing out Love Month with uh, Love with um, a little gem of a film. Will actually brought this up as possibly one of his choices, and it got my salv- salv- uh, salv- uh, glands, my salvatory glands, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it got the drool rolling because I thought to myself, well, we need to talk about that because that's a movie that you know people are probably surprised we've never discussed. It is so GGTMC. It really is. So we're going to be doing Point Break uh, next week. Yes. The uh, Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze film. Been a while Cody, since. Yeah. Johnny Utah. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Been a while since Patrick Swayze's been on the show. I'm pretty positive about that. And I don't know how many times Keanu's been on. Maybe a couple. But anyway, I think we've never done a Catherine Bigelow film either. Wild. Oh, no, no, that's not true. You and some folks did uh, Near Dark. So there was that oh. one. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Sleepy Chris was on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't I do I wouldn't I didn't partake in that one, but I am a fan of that film. Nice. Um so that's what we're gonna do to close out Love Month. Uh we hope you guys have enjoyed. Check out uh, other podcasts, the uh Watch Skip Plus, Not a Bomb podcast, uh Not Night of Living Podcast, Married with Clickers, Feminine Critique, Chin Stroker versus Punter, love that album, see here podcast. Caliber nine from outer space. How about that? There we go. Got it that time. Am I forgetting anybody? Raiders of the podcast. There we go. I think I nailed them. I think I got them all. Now for something completely different. Oh God, we didn't. So now for something a little bit different, the John show, which we didn't mention last week, John, I apologize. Well, you know, we'll get John on the show soon. I heard him on the not a bomb show. He did a very good job. We'll get him on the show soon. He talking, he's talking about wanting to come on. So we'll get him on soon. John, you have my word. We'll get you on there. Yep. Uh, that's pretty much it, man. In a, in a nutshell, in a, in a bale of cotton, we uh, shall gallop into the sunset for this week. I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.